Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. Thank you for joining us for another edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut, and very glad to have you with us on this cold morning, I think, across the state of Georgia. Um, You know, typically on this show, we uh, work to balance our panels, uh, have an equal number of Democrats and Republicans, uh, to uh, have journalists and political scientists. You you know the kind of composition we have on the show because uh, many of you are frequent listeners. Uh, Today, we wanted to do something a little bit different. Uh, Because there has been so much uh, conversation around, so much controversy, uh, controversial uh, uh, discussions about how Republicans are responding to the apparent victory of Joe Biden here in Georgia and across the country, we wanted to invite three important Georgia Republican leaders, three people who have uh, over the years been thought of as some of the most important names in Republican politics here, to come in and talk to us about how they're feeling as this election continues to unfold. And uh, I want to introduce them in just a moment, but I, but I want to immediately say uh, President Trump has started our conversation off for us already. He literally just tweeted at uh, 10 minutes before the show went on the air this, thousands of uncounted votes discovered in Georgia counties. When the much more important signature match takes place, the state will flip Republican and very quickly get it done. Of course, Tomorrow, the Secretary of State here will uh, certify the results of the election, pass it on to uh, the governor, who will then have to acknowledge and sign off on what the state election count was. This notion that there is going to be some signature match that will be looked at is a figment of the president's imagination that is not happening here. Uh, That's just one of the things that's happened in terms of how uh, uh, candidate Trump, the uh, Trump campaign and some Republicans here in Georgia and nationally have um, tried to distort the legitimate outcome of the election. One other quick note, and and then I will introduce the panel. You know, I've I've told you already that Fox and Friends has kind of become my go-to show early in the morning because I really think it's important to hear how they're talking about this election to their viewers out there. And um, although they sort of are acknowledging Joe Biden as president-elect, here's something they said this morning. They talked about the Georgia recount, and they said how surprising it is and how suspicious it is that some votes, about 1,200 of them, were found for President Trump in three heavily Democratic Georgia counties. Well, just to do a fact check here, the three counties are Floyd County, which uh, Donald Trump won 70% of the vote in, in 2016. Uh, Fayette County, where Trump won 58% of the vote in 2016. And Walton County, where Trump won 77% of the vote. It's just part of this uh, strange disinformation campaign that we're all still contending with. All right, enough of me. First of all, it's Thursday, which means my partner on the show is Kevin Riley, the editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm very glad you could be part of this conversation today, Kevin. 
You know, it's great to be here, Bill. And every Thursday we have fantastic panels, but I don't know if we'll ever top this one. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. It's a good one. Yeah, and, and, yeah that's, I agree. And, and we start with uh, former United States Senator Saxby Chambliss. Um, Senator, we're very happy you're here. Just to make sure everybody uh, knows about your credentials uh, in public service, you served in the, uh, in the U.S. House for four terms before being elected to the United States Senate in the 2002 election, which was which you were part of a turning point in this state at that moment. When you ran for that U.S. Senate seat in 2002, Georgia was represented by two Democrats in the United States Senate, Max Cleland and Zell Miller. Your victory in there was part of the beginning of Georgia turning red. It was the same year that uh, uh, Sonny Perdue shocked Georgia by winning the governor's race against Zell Miller. Um, and you had a very distinguished career in two terms in the United States Senate. We're very glad to have you. Thanks for joining us, Senator. Glad to be with you, Bill, as always. Um, we're also joined today by Sam Olin. Sam Olin's the former attorney general of the state of Georgia, and before that, uh, chairman of the Cobb County Committee, where he established a very strong reputation as a Republican uh, chair of the commission for working across party lines, working across geographic lines to try to uh, uh, make the kind of uh, improvements in Metro Atlanta that he felt were so important in many, many areas. Uh, Sam was uh, elected to two terms as Attorney General. Uh, Sam, thank you very much. We always love having you on the show, and I'm glad you're part of this conversation. Thank you, Bill. My pleasure. We're also joined by another frequent uh, panelist on Political Rewind, uh, Rusty Paul. He now, of course, is the mayor of Sandy Springs, uh, but um, he served as chairman of the state Republican Party. I think you were elected in 1995 as chairman of the state party. Do I have the year right, Rusty Paul? Yep. That was when we were in the ascendancy. Yeah. And in, and in that role, you were, of course, on the Republican National Committee. You were the chair of the state chairman's advisory committee. Uh, before that, you were uh, confirmed by the United States Senate years before that as an assistant secretary for congressional and intergovernmental relations in George H.W. Bush's administration. You worked for uh, the highly revered Jack Kemp back in those days. See, your, your Republican credentials are long and well-established. Um, and I know this is a terribly busy day for you, so I'm, I'm grateful that you could be with us today. Well, thank you. Thank you for, you know, putting me on with such distinguished members, people I have, two people I have tremendous respect for in, in the Republican circles. And of course, Kevin is the editor of the AJC, the first time we've been together. So I'm excited to be with you this morning. So let me start uh, and then uh, bring everybody into this. Uh, Senator Chambliss, you have been in uh, the past days pretty outspoken in terms of your concerns about the way in which the Trump campaign, Trump himself and some Georgia Republicans have continued to raise questions about the legitimacy of the election here in Georgia and across the country. Talk to us a little bit about how you've watched that unfold and what it means to you. Well, uh, first of all, Bill, let me echo what Rusty just said. It's a privilege for me to have a chance to come on your show again and 
particularly with my good friends Sam and and Rusty. And uh, it's good to be with Kevin this morning. My first time to be with you too, Kevin. So looking forward to it. You know, I, I'm uh, I'm the the guy who was in the last runoff in Georgia, a 2008 race um, out of 4 million votes. I came 9,000 short of getting 50% plus one. And on election night, we never slowed down. We went home and got a good night's sleep. We're up early the next morning. My campaign staff was assembled just like it was uh, the first day of the campaign. We had a four-week runoff back then, so it was critical that we start day one and that we be unified as a Republican Party going forward. Um, so, And we were, and we had a great turnout of Republicans in that runoff, and we overwhelmed our opponent with like 58% of the vote, as I remember, in, in, the, in the runoff. And a key part of that was the fact that we had Every single Republican in the state, those who were mad with me for some reason and those who have been long-time strong supporters, everybody showed up to vote. So I know how important it is to be unified and everybody pulling in the same direction. Um, when I saw the comments coming out of the White House and by some other folks, uh, it concerned me from the standpoint of a unity situation going forward now. Do I believe that President Trump has the right to question the election and investigate the election and make sure that all votes were legal and that all legally uh, kept votes are counted? You bet. I'm all for that um, because integrity of an election is critically important. That said, uh, there were some statements made that there was uh, wholesale fraud and uh, scheming devices carried out in the state on November 3rd that um, I just, on the ground, I saw no indication of it. Um, I, I just um, uh, I've been involved in, in a couple of campaigns in a big way, and there was just no indication that there was any wholesale uh, violations. <clears throat> we got 159 counties. You got a number of precincts within all of those counties. So is there an opportunity for mischief in all of that? Sure. There could be some things that happen, but if they were, they appeared to me to be isolated. And what I said was, and what I still say is, that if something, if there was a scheme and device, we got to get the facts out there. Uh, we can't just continue down this path of, a path of making wild statements when We've got two Senate candidates who have their heads down now and are running forward full steam. They need the full support of everybody in the Republican Party. We don't need a distraction. So um, that was what I said then. It's what I still believe. And I think we have a great chance to win both these seats, but we got to all be working together to make sure we win them. Sam? So similar to Saxby, everyone has the right to uh, take the appropriate legal steps. However, when you tweet rank fraud and then your lawyers in the courtroom admit to the court that they have no evidence of such fraud, um, that frankly makes everyone look foolish. Uh, the issue is January 5. The issue were the two Senate seats and the importance of the two Senate seats. There are so many major issues 
that are affected by that election and the results of that election. And each day Republicans in Georgia or a president tweets against a Republican in Georgia, it's another day that our two candidates are not fully able to accomplish their goal. So it seems to me if the Republicans want to win those two seats, all the effort, as Saxby just said, needs to be on those two races. And the, the rank distractions are, are frankly um, totally uh, unnecessary and totally um, contradictory to running a successful campaign. Well, I know what a stolen election looks like. When I was party chairman, uh, I went to bed. Jeff Mullis up in northwest Georgia, who's currently the chairman of the Senate Rules Committee, uh, was uh, ahead by 125 votes, went to bed. We woke up. Somebody had found a box of votes in the backside of the Catoosa County Courthouse, and the only thing that they did right was they didn't at least vote them in alphabetical order. Uh, because there was every one of them, uh, you know, was suspect, and and ironically, just enough votes that Jeff's uh, opponent uh, won won that election. And I called then Secretary of State Kathy Cox the next morning. I said, Kathy, she, as soon as she picked up the phone, she didn't say hello, Rusty. She said, I know, I know, it doesn't smell right. Uh, so I know what stolen elections look like, uh, and I also know the folks who have been running this election. If there's one thing I can say, they have done everything humanly possible to make sure that there was a fair, accurate count of the votes of everybody who voted. And I agree with Sam and Saxby. You know, we don't have we don't have the ability to get distracted and bogged down. I watched Newt yesterday. Newt, of all people who should know better, was was touting this line about fraud and that that that, that the Secretary of State and the Governor throwing the Governor into this who has no role in it uh just it's just disappointing we've got to get refocused and and move forward this is not 2008 when saxby did this we're in a highly competitive world in georgia right now and uh we we can't afford these distractions uh rusty real quick uh two things number one the mullis election mullis ended up winning that election of course because he's still in office right he came two years um, later ran and won he lost that one and then oh, he the, lost that. Yeah, one. we had we went to court and the, and the judge threw it out because we didn't meet the filing deadline, uh, and uh, so he ran two years later and won. But he lost that election. <laughs> okay. All right, but Kevin, the reason I mention that is it's important to point out that Kathy Cox was the Democratic Secretary of State when Rusty Paul called her about a Republican who she felt had had an election stolen from him. And although the outcome, now I understand, was not overturned, she cared about investigating, even though it, it might have meant losing the seat if it had been overturned to a Republican. Go ahead, Kevin. Kevin, do we have you? We've lost you, Kevin. Kevin, I think you're going to have to call back in so we make sure that we can uh, hear you. Um, let, let me come back. So, um, Sam Olins, let me start with you on this and then bring everybody else in. The attacks on Brad Raffensperger, I, I think there are many people who have felt that uh, back in the, uh, in the days immediately following the June 9th uh, primaries, there were reasons to be critical of the Secretary of State's office and the way in which it handled the transition to the new voting machines, the way it trained county workers, the way it worked with counties that were already suffering from their own problems. Uh, and and uh, as a result of, of perhaps some uh, efforts that were less than optimal, uh, contributed to the horrible 
June primary problems that we saw. So Raffensperger came in for a lot of criticism back then, but he's run a pretty straightforward election this time, Sam. And he seems to have done it with transparency and integrity. These attacks on him are, how do you characterize these attacks and how it helps divide people in the Republican Party of Georgia? So first of all, when when Brad first came into the legislature, uh, I worked with him on uh, the bill uh, when I was AG. And I, I would suggest to you he's further right than any of the Republicans on your show today. Uh, he is a hardcore, as he put it on TV yesterday, Christian conservative. He's a technocrat. His background is technology. And while I agree that both the state and local governments could have been could have done much better in the primary, frankly, from all appearances, he and his staff have done an outstanding job on the November 3 election. Gabriel Sterling, who, of course, Rusty knows very, very well, a former council members for Sandy Springs, uh, comes across very sharp. The secretary of state comes across very sharp. And, and this uh, firing line mentality to attack the secretary of state, I think, is um, frankly um, an embarrassment and uh, trying to take down a good person. Uh, that doesn't bode well for folks that run for office if they know they're going to take these cheap shots even within their own party. And, you know, when he literally uh, says, look, the Trump administration asked him to endorse him for reelection, and he declined because he thought as the individual in Georgia responsible for elections, it was inappropriate for him to do so. I agree with him. That was the right thing for him to do. So, um, you know, once again, I, I think these attacks um, are, are totally counterproductive to the January 5 election. Kevin, I know we've restored you. Why don't you get a question in, and we'll get Rusty and Saxby Chambliss back in. Yeah, I've got a question. Um, I'm going to direct it at Mayor Paul just to see uh, and, and let the others weigh in. Okay, so do you think things would be different if we didn't have Twitter? Kevin, the answer to that is yes, but it's an irrelevant question. We've got it. <laughs> uh, my real question there, though, is, uh, yeah, again, you were a state ch chair. So, I mean, the impulse that people maybe have to uh, immediately respond or throw something out there as opposed to a more measured, thoughtful thing to do or say, is that contributing to this chaos? And if so, how? Well, think about your job. What, what, your job was totally different 10 years ago. You you published yeah. a newspaper. You put it to bed. You had 24 hours to think about what you were going to do the next day. Uh, you reacted, but you, you know, on some of these very difficult stories that you have to publish sometimes, you had a chance to reflect on it, send reporters back to, to work on it. Now, because of the competitive pressure of social media, you've got less time to think about stories and uh, and, and react. So it's, it's had an impact all the way up and down the media food chain. It, you have to, because of the competitive pressures, everybody's got to be out there first. I'm, <laughs> tragically, I'm a recovering journalist, uh, so I understand these things. And uh, it's, uh, so yeah, you know, and then everybody is a newspaper editor today. Uh, if you've got a if you've got a computer or a cell phone, uh, you've got the ability to weigh in and and whether you have the facts or not, 
uh, opine about what's going on, and then other people will listen to you. And it's, it's, so, yeah, it would be a much better environment if we had a more reasoned process, but we are where we are, so you just have to simply deal with it and, and try and overcome it. Senator Chambliss, it's interesting to pick up on that. You know, Kara Swisher in the New York Times, she writes about technology for them, speculates that um, Trump may be reaching a point in which uh, the volume of his tweets now in response to the election are becoming counterproductive, that as much as he's held his base in sway by his tweets over uh, five years, uh, that at this point, uh, too much is, is uh, too much, and it may start to uh, work against him. And, and I wonder uh, what you think about um, whether it's the tweets or the other kinds of statements attacking uh, Republican officials in states around the country where he's lost. Uh, do, do you think in some ways this is going, people even in his own base are going to get weary of this? Well, I think obviously there's the real potential for that. I'm not sure where we stand right now because I I happened to be at the Capitol yesterday afternoon for a meeting, and there was uh, there's a pretty good group of Trump supporters uh, protesting at the Capitol mm-hmm. yesterday. Uh, so the emotions are still running high right now. Um, that'll calm down eventually. Um, it'll calm down quicker if the president um, uh, puts his feet on the table and looks back and said, you know, we did our best and uh, maybe our best wasn't good enough. Um, Georgia actually uh, was in play for a long time, still is in play from the standpoint of, of the final count that I guess we'll know today. But the fact of the matter is uh, – uh, Joe Biden has enough electoral votes that uh, he's going to win. Um, so the president continuing to cite Georgia and try to rile up the base, I don't think it, it's helping him, number one. It's obviously not helping the party. And I hope there does come a point in time when he acts like all other uh, incumbent presidents with a couple of exceptions, John Adams uh, being one of them. Uh, who didn't invite the winner over for a cup of coffee, shake hands, and say, we're going to make the transition uh, very smooth. Um, hopefully that if, if uh, Biden is going to be the winner, I hope that does come a point when, when the president does that and, and uh, we don't have to wake up every morning trying to figure out what the, the latest tweet means. Uh, Kevin, John Adams had to turn the White House over to his arch rival, Thomas Jefferson. Uh, maybe one of the reasons it was a frostier transition uh, than we might have expected. You want to ask a question? Well, yeah, and I'll ask uh, uh, Attorney General Olins, who's obviously run statewide as well, uh, very direct. Does Trump's behavior presence help or hurt Republicans in these runoffs? In other words, if you were in that runoff, would you want this, or what would you want from the president? So the issue, Kevin, is this. Uh, David Perdue, for instance, got more votes than the president on election night. Uh, it appears that an educated white vote went with Joe Biden and not with the president as compared to four years earlier. Uh, 
Trump is a negative, in my opinion, towards getting independents to vote for Kelly and David. Um, I like having Tom Cotton come. I like having Marco Rubio, a lot of these folks coming to help them. I frankly think the president supports his base but doesn't bring those independents to the table, and that's what's absolutely necessary for January 5th. Sam Olins, I know that we have to cut you loose um, because you have a meeting that you've got to get to and you've been gracious enough to do the show up until now. So um, thank you for joining us. Um, We'll invite you back soon uh, and we can continue this conversation and many others with you as we move forward. But in the meantime, let's do this. Let's take a break. Say goodbye to Sam Olins. And when we come back, Uh, Kevin Riley, Rusty Paul, and Saxby Chambliss will continue this conversation. You're listening to Political Rewind. Thanks again, Sam. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. AJC editor Kevin Riley, Sandy Springs mayor and uh, former state GOP party chairman Rusty Paul and former United States Senator Saxby Chambliss uh, join us for this conversation. Um, uh Rusty, let me start with you on this one, if I may. Uh, Monmouth University released a new poll overnight, which shows that 70 percent of Republicans uh, believe that Joe Biden, uh, if he wins this race, it will be fraudulently. Um, If you look at the overall number, if you back away from the cross tabs, uh, you have as many as uh, let me see if I can pull this up quickly. you have about uh, 60% of Americans who believe that Joe Biden won the election, as they put it at Monmouth, fair and square. But 32% in the overall numbers say it was due to voter fraud. So beyond what the Republican Party does, or what the outcome is for Republicans, what does this mean to our democracy, Rusty Paul and Saxby Chambliss? Well, we, we know for, we know for certain that that foreign agents, Russians and maybe others, tried to influence the 2016 election through social media and other uh, other means. They don't have to do a thing to to accomplish the same undermining of of, of our democracy today because we're doing it to ourselves, uh, and that's the tragedy uh, because people are believing that uh, that this election was stolen and and like Saxby, I haven't seen any evidence and I know what as I said earlier I know what stolen elections look like. Uh, I know the people, at least in Georgia, who, uh, and you mentioned Gabe, who I think has done a phenomenal job trying to get all this new technology up and running. Um, I, I know that they have tried to do the best job humanly possible to run a fair, open, honest election. And to have their integrity impugned, um, as Sam and, and Saxby both have talked about, I, I think is tragic. But the worst problem and the biggest tragedy is the undermining of confidence in our system. And that's what our enemies want to have happen. 
and uh, and 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 we're feeding it ourselves. We're not. It's not the Russians. It's not the Chinese. It's not a, a foreign agent. It's happening inside, and they've got to be sitting back just gleeful at what we're doing to ourselves. You know, Senator um, uh, Bill, I'm still on. Um, several intelligence community advisory boards and uh, still have my top secret clearance and get briefed regularly on election security. I have been over the last uh, two years since the uh, 16 election. There was much more focus from a national perspective on ensuring that the elections of both 2018 and obviously now 2020 were conducted without outside foreign influence. And uh, our folks have done a great job. We, um, in 2018 particularly, there was a uh, task force at NSA that was created to deal with the cyber impact that the Russians had had on, uh, or at least attempted, in 2016. And uh, it's not just the Russians. It's the Iranians, the North Koreans, the uh, Chinese, and any number of other folks trying to interfere with our elections. This time around, I will have to say, I think from a national perspective, um, our elections were carried out in a fair and secure manner. Um, Obviously, from a DHS or an NSA standpoint, we don't get down to the very local level on checking signatures. That's not the function there. But uh, Chris Krebs and his team at DHS uh, did a really good job, in my opinion. Unfortunately, the president doesn't think so and and let Chris Krebs go uh, in the last day or two, which, incidentally, Chris um, spent part of his life in Atlanta. He actually graduated from Marist High School years ago. Really good guy, sharp guy. And from a national perspective, I I think it was done well. From a local perspective, I just um, go back again, as Rusty indicated, we uh, we just don't see any wholesale uh, scheme or harvesting of ballots or any of those types of things that would indicate that um, uh, there was any mischief successfully carried out in this election from a uh, from a state standpoint. So, uh, you know, here we are uh, two weeks out and we're still talking about this. Um, I understand why folks are suspect uh, because we are still talking about it. And uh, hopefully as we move forward, there'll be more um, uh, more evidence coming out validating the election versus evidence uh, invalidating it is what I hope we see. But, you know, I still uh, still do think that the president has the right to carry out um, investigations and questioning uh, elections in every state. You, you want to make sure all the votes that are legally cast are counted and that sort of thing. But there is going to come a point where we've um, we've got to move on. And in Georgia, particularly, we got to move on to January the 5th. Senator uh, Chambliss, um, I, I guess this is a little bit of an unavoidable question, and, I, and I'm not uh, asking you to call anybody out. But, you know, your former, a number of your former Republican colleagues in the Senate have sort of, um, in some cases, joined in the chorus with the president about fraud, and others have, have been very quiet about it. 
I mean, what are your thoughts there? I mean, what are the political realities that they face? What what would keep them from speaking as you are about this? Well, I'm not sure uh, if there is uh, any uh, any evidentiary facts on the ground that would uh, indicate something different, and that's why some members of the Senate have been uh, strongly supportive of President Trump and critical of uh, what went on in Georgia. But there has just been no evidence of that, obviously. Um, I, I do think that um, uh, folks are sympathetic to the president, particularly from a national perspective. Um, every member in the Senate wants to serve uh, with a president from your own party uh, versus the other party. So all Republicans, obviously, were pulling for Trump to win. And um, if if he doesn't win, it makes it a little more difficult. But sometimes uh, it makes it more fun, too. I've been on both sides of that. Um, but I can't imagine that there are any facts on the ground in Georgia that senators from other states know about that, that we don't know about here. So what's the rationale for them not, uh, not speaking out, um, in the way that, that we've talked about this morning, you know, I don't know that there's a clear answer to that. Rusty, I'd like to move the conversation to the, what the future looks like, and we'll start that before we have to take our final break of the show with you, if I may. Um, you know, there was the, the, I think many people who are observers like me, journalists, uh, thought, well, if President Trump loses his election, he will have had one term in office. He will have uh, turned the Supreme Court in a much more conservative direction. He will have appointed many federal judges around the country. He will have some legacy. Uh, many people would argue not as much as it, it, he, he could have accomplished if he'd been willing to work in a more, more bipartisan way. But I think there was this general sense that, well, the Trump era is over. Rusty Paul, it is increasingly clear the Trump era is not over and is likely not to be over for the foreseeable future. So that when, when Kevin asked a question about, you know, uh, why are people uh, holding uh, their loyalties to him right now, it's because it's increasingly clear that President Trump plans to be the leader of the Republican Party and may very well run for election again in 2024, freezing in place some of the very people right now who are being supportive of the doubts he's casting on the election, uh, like a, a Marco uh, Rubio, uh, like perhaps a Lindsey Graham and other Republicans, is the Republican Party, and this is part of the future conversation, going to be in the grip of Donald Trump for a number of years to come? He has, from, from a party structure, he has changed the characteristics of both parties. For it's like in, in politics as in physics, for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. Uh, what the Republican Party is today, it, 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 it was always thought of as, as, as highly educated, business-oriented, uh, suburban uh, residents, and that's no longer the case. The Republican Party today in Georgia and much of the rest of the country is blue-collar, less educated, generally high school, maybe an associate's degree in college, hardworking. They, they, they feel they've been left out uh, of, of the growth and progress, and, and Donald Trump offers them a voice. 
And so you've had that shift. You've had that's why if you look at the boats in the rural area, and this goes back to Kevin's question of Sam earlier, how would you use the president as a as a campaign manager? I would want to use him in very specific ways. I would really want him talking to my rural voters today because they are energized and 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 those blue collar working class folks who feel dis- disenfranchised, who feel they've been left out. He is a voice. He he he. They finally have somebody they believe cares about them and is working on their behalf. The problem is is that he has alienated the the as as Sam said earlier. Here, white, highly educated, suburban, business-oriented uh, folks who have been the backbone of the Republican Party for the last 35, 40 years. They have now shifted over uh, and are, are more are voting Democrat. They voted Democratic in the last three elections. The challenge for the Republican Party in Georgia and elsewhere is how do we get those suburban voters back? Uh, and, and Donald Trump is not helpful in that process. Uh, because he is a hot button, just as he is is an advocate for those folks who feel left out. He is a he is a hot button for the folks who live around me, and uh, so um, it, 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 he has he as Ronald Reagan was transformational for the Republican Party in the South. Donald Trump has been equally transformational as a political figure in the Republican Party in the South and in and elsewhere as well. You know, Bill. But Senator, um, there is nothing that. Go ahead. Go ahead. If, if you look at a map, uh, just a red and blue map of the counties uh, that went for Bush or uh, for Biden or Trump, uh, about ninety plus percent of the state is red. Um, the areas where it's blue are suburban areas. We all know that um, that's where the population is concentrated and obviously why Biden won, but what Rusty just said about the educated suburban voter that was has been our base, Trump turned those folks off. And I'm not sure he has the capability of turning them back on. It's it's not his DNA to to say the things that will bring those voters back. Other Republicans will. Our problem is fixable. Our problem in the suburban parts of the state uh, can be fixed with the right message coming from the right candidate. Uh, David Perdue got more votes than than the president did for uh, lots of reasons, one of which was David uh, David is a uh, business person. He speaks the right language. And he got some of the votes that did not go to Trump. People voted for Biden. Then they came over and voted for David and Kelly and Doug and others down the line. Um, we need to make sure that that we are reaching back out to those folks as we head into the gubernatorial election two years from now to try to make sure that we get the right message to get them back in the fold. So before we take our final break, I want to make sure about what I think I just heard you and Rusty Paul say, Senator. It sounds to me like you believe, even if President Trump does think that what he's going through right now is simply preparing him to mount a a comeback in 2024, you believe that there will be room in the Republican Party for others to come along and challenge uh, the kind of grip he's had on the party by, in fact, trying to expand the base back to the former independent suburbanites who voted for him. You think the party has room to grow beyond President Trump in the two and four years ahead. Is that what you're saying, Senator? 
Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Okay. I agree 100%. That's fascinating. I, I, okay. With, uh, with, uh, we're going to have one more segment with uh, Saxby Chambliss, Rusty Paul, and Kevin Riley, and I want to talk a little bit more about what they see as the future of Republicans as we move forward. You're listening to Political Rewind. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to uh, Political Rewind. Uh, Senator Saxby Chambliss and Rusty Paul just said that they do think there's room uh, in the two and four years, two years ahead midterm, four years next presidential election for Republicans to uh, plot out new territory that they can regroup around, uh, despite how President Trump had lost some of, of, of the independent voters who had previously always been Republicans. I, uh, Kevin, uh, let me bring you in on this, because uh, I think Tom Friedman in The New York Times earlier this week wrote a column that suggests what some of the Republican problem is going to be around that. I think it's probably fair to say that Tom Friedman is a center-left columnist. Uh, nevertheless, I think he's widely respected by people on both sides of the aisle. Here's just a little of what he said. He said he considers that um, this election was our greatest expression of American democratic vitality since Abraham Lincoln defeated George B. McClellan in 1864 in the midst of a civil war. Um, and he says perhaps as great as the election of 1800, which Saxby Chambliss alluded to, John Adams versus Thomas Jefferson. But he then says that's why Donald Trump's efforts to soil this election with fraudulent claims are vile. Here's the key. If Trump and his enablers had resisted for only a day or two, no big deal. But the fact they continue to do so, flailing for ways to overturn the will of the people, egged on by their media toadies, Lou Dobbs actually said on Fox Business, the GOP should refuse to accept the election results that deny Trump what is, quote, rightfully his. And then Friedman says, raises this question. How do you trust this version of the Republican Party to ever hold the White House again? Um, Kevin, that's a question I think journalists are going to be looking at as we uh, analyze and sort through uh, the election uh, results of this election and start pointing to 2022 and 2024. Well, yeah, I mean, certainly as journalists, we'll be spending a lot of time on that. And I actually think the country's got that before it. I mean, the truth is, is you can look at both parties, and, and if you want to characterize them, it, you can find people who are at an extreme or have an, what would be to most people a somewhat extreme view of, of, the, of America and what America should be doing. Um, I, I just have this deep faith in the American people that they, they will see eventually see through this. And maybe when we get a little distance from this election, people will realize that uh, these institutions— that we have and this process we have where we get to vote is more precious than, than we somehow thought it to be. So I, I just, I won't let go of that optimism. You know, this is a resilient country. Uh, you, you know, you talked about Lincoln and, and uh, others. 
we, you know, I was I was coming of age during Watergate when the Republican Party looked like it was in its death throes after uh, Richard Nixon, and uh, within uh, you know within six years, uh, Ronald Reagan was president of the United States. Uh, you know, this country is resilient. Uh, we'll we'll get through all this. The same process that gave us Washington, Lincoln, the two Roosevelts, Ronald Reagan, gave us Franklin Pierce and uh, James Buchanan and uh, other lesser lights who've served in that office, and we survived those. So whatever happens here, this country is going to come out, and, and it will be as good and strong in the future as we've ever been. It's just frustrating right now because this election is more than just about the two senators from the state of Georgia. This is about control of the entire United States Senate, and are we going to have that coffee, that saucer that they talk about to cool the coffee in the Senate, which has always played its role, by having a divided government, which forces the, the two parties to work together more more closely, and that's what I... That's what's important to me right now is making sure that we, we get back some form of bipartisanship and having the control of the U.S. Senate enforces uh, both parties to work closer together and start focusing on solving problems rather than fighting with each other. You know, Bill, we truly are a uh, great republic. We're the, <clears throat> we're the envy of every other free country in the world when it comes to the way we operate our elections and operate our political system and we are the envy for all the right reasons uh we will will come out of this a stronger country um the um the the fact of the matter is that in spite of all the bickering and and protesting that is uh, has gone on and some of it's still going on um you know we're um um, we did not have a coup. We did not have the military coming in and all of a sudden taking over uh, the White House and the Capitol. Um, we are a great nation because we're made up of great people and great leaders. Um, and, you know, when we look back at the Trump administration, I think he's going to be treated a lot kinder by history than uh, the way he's being treated by the mainstream media right now. What, wait, what, why do you think that? I'm sorry? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but why do you think that? Well, if you go back to uh, January of this year, before the pandemic really hit, and you look at his policies that had been put in place to that point, um, the economy was rocking and rolling. Um, we had uh, every segment of the economy doing very well. We had more um, uh, uh, African Americans employed, less unemployment in that sector than ever in the history of our country. And I could go down the line from an economic standpoint. But even beyond that, uh, the country was was safe and secure. Sure, we had our moments, um, both domestic and abroad, but uh, the country was in pretty good shape from a foreign relations standpoint then. Um, once the pandemic hit, obviously everything changed. As I look back now, I'm not sure what President Trump could have done differently from what he did to um, uh, make us safer and get through this pandemic. Um, it's going to be with us for a while longer still. But that was a key moment in his uh, tenure in the office. But as you look back beyond that, um, I just think history is going to treat him 
much, much more favorable than what he's being treated right now. So uh, we are doing a show. Go ahead, Rusty. I'm sorry, I, I agree. If you, it, 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 there is no reason, given the, the policies that Donald Trump pursued, he should have won in a landslide. The economy was in great shape. Everybody uh, agrees that we've got to challenge China. Even Biden's talking about he may approach it differently, but we can't just sit back and let China go. Uh, he took a tough line on Iran, uh, a country that's trying to get nuclear weapons and probably has helped slow that process down. If you look at what his policies were and what he accomplished in those areas, he should have won election in a landslide. This was a this was a, 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 a referendum on Donald Trump's personality. Uh, if you if you liked Trump, you loved his policies. If you didn't like Trump, Joe Biden's policies were totally irrelevant. You, he just wasn't Trump. Now it's going to change because now Joe Biden's policies are going to come to the fore, and people are going to start questioning some of the things that he's going to want to do. But I agreed with Saxby that if you just look at what Donald Trump did as president and take his personality out of it, he accomplished a lot. And lastly, so, I would so say, I, you know, I, every, I, every president is his legacy is the federal bench. And when you look at what Trump has done on the federal bench, um, it's pretty amazing. We don't have a circuit court position that's vacant today and uh, three Supreme Court nominees that are going to be there for decades to come that are going to shape the future of the court system. So he's got some very positive legacies out there. So, as I said at the very top of the show, this is one of those rare times we were not going to have a balance of Republicans and Democrats on the panel. And so Saxby Chambliss, Kevin, and Rusty Paul are giving us a very uh, clear picture of how Republicans respond to Donald Trump. I mean, I think if we had a Democrat on the show, they would uh, suggest that uh, uh, picking just judges who are so so far to the right, uh, uh, packing the Supreme Court with three very conservative justices may not be in the interests of women who believe in reproductive health. There are certainly African Americans out there and other minorities who feel that the president has uh, uh, been a bigot in the policies he's pursued. I mean, I just want to say I'm not I, I get that those Republican positions are perfectly legitimate, but we're we're um, we're not balancing all that right now today, and that that's perfectly fine. We'll do it on another show, Kevin. Yeah, I think it's important for uh, these um, longtime Republican leaders to to have their say. But what I would what I would say is it is a fascinating exercise to consider how a president will be viewed by history as someone who's involved in the first draft of that history, and we'll see how it turns out. I, that's the last word for the show. Uh, Senator Saxby Shambles, I'm really delighted you would join us today. Thank you so much for being with us. It's always a pleasure to have you on, and I hope you'll come back sometime soon. Rusty Paul, you know we love having you on, and again, thank you for being with us um, on what your office told us was a very, very busy day for both of you. So my thanks to you both. Um, tomorrow on the show, uh, Brad Raffensberg will be here to uh, fight back against accusations that he's run a dishonest election. He's already been doing a pretty good job of that. By that, he will also be certifying the election uh, tomorrow. So we'll get a sense from him on how the race turned out once now that the audit is over with. Um, I'm looking forward to that conversation and hope you are too. Kevin Riley. You have a great uh, couple of days, a good weekend. We'll see you again next week. 
I'm Bill Nygut. See you tomorrow. And in the meantime, take care. Stay healthy. Please wear a mask. And if you haven't done it already, go get a flu shot. Bye-bye, everybody.